Hello again. Welcome back to Beer Books Podcast for this, our final episode of Season 3. Hosted by April Berry and yours truly, Daisy Ray. We are and have been all about appreciating indie authors. We have interviews and reviews, writing and reading you flash fiction stories, and best of all, getting authors noticed by their readers. Yeah, we've got a very busy podcast as well for you this episode. I'm going to have to have my wits about me, know who I'm talking to and who I'm not talking to. (laughs) We've never had so many voices on a podcast at any one time. We've got four stories for you today, and Daisy and I have been able to retire our pens for this episode. Yay. But we will be writing stories for the book that we are releasing at the end of the year for charity. So we've got Dean Wrigley, we've got TJ Spencer, we've got Jane Love, who have all submitted stories for this podcast, and Carolyn Ward-Daniels, who we are going to start off with reading her story to us. And I want to know, Carolyn, what was the inspiration behind this story? It's me. It's bloody me. I was I was sat at the dressing table, putting my mascara on, getting ready for work, thinking, oh, for Christ's sake, roll on July when I retire. That, that that was it. It's just kind of nearly real. Wow. Yeah, the thing is, uh, when you get to the end, I hope it's not a bloody premonition, let me tell you. Oh, God, Carolyn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's hope it's not. Yeah, let's hope it's not. Thank you very much. It can't become real if you talk about it. The Last Mascara. It was the needing to pee that woke Gloria, and she reluctantly got out of bed. She felt relaxed, though, thinking, Oh, Sunday, I can get back in bed and snooze until I'm ready. Snuggled back in comfort and smiling into a soft pillow, the alarm screamed and she realised it was, in fact, bloody Monday. Her calm face now frowned, and she snatched the alarm to stop its horrible message and reset it for five more minutes. She checked in her mind that it really was Monday, but her beloved weekend was over. The alarm wailed again, and she was tempted to set another five minutes, but it just prolonged the agony. She sat up, said shit three times, and pushed herself into a routine, calling in to check on her hubby in the main bedroom. He was sound asleep. They didn't share a bed any longer, as Jack tumbled and mumbled in arthritic pain most of the night and kept her awake. At the dressing table, she patted a little foundation onto signs of a liver spot and thread veins on her face. Just three months to go, she spoke to the mirror, and retirement. This cheered her up a little, and she took up the hot curling tongs to scorch the goodness from her pretend blonde hair. Her mascara was about dry, so she'd have to buy a new one. That will be my countdown, she whispered. One last mascara will just do me until my last work day. She had been so frugal the past three years, especially since Jack retired. Their plans of having special holidays were getting closer, and they saved every penny. Clothes were worn until worn out. Food and necessities were bought when on offer. Whilst putting a wave into her hair, she thought, when I retire, I won't pay to have blonde highlights. I will go naturally grey like Jack. Gloria heard him groan in pain as he creaked his way to the bathroom. He opened her door to say good morning 
and a whiff of deep heat entered too. Bad night, love, Jack nodded. Are you taking the car today? Yes, love, I need to call at Tesco for a mascara after work. And I tell you, this will be my last one. It should take me to July and then I don't care. He smiled through his pain and hobbled downstairs. He got the toaster out as he hadn't taken to the cheap unbranded cereal Gloria had bought. All this frugality was making life miserable. Still, it wouldn't be long now before they could let loose and get away. He thought about the boating holiday he dreamed of and was doubtful about being able to get on an opera boat with his unreliable knees. Sightseeing anywhere would literally be a stumbling block. Gloria filled her cereal bowl and pulled an uncertain face. It wouldn't have improved from yesterday. Jack saw her hesitate and said, I wouldn't get that again, love it. It doesn't taste wonderful. True. Well, soon we shall go out to brunch a couple of times a week. And at least once a month we'll go out for dinner. She noticed the cuff of her blouse fraying and pulled a cardigan sleeve down. Jack buttered his toast and, glancing at her, said, You always look smart when you go to work. I might miss that, if I'm honest. I won't become a bag lady, but I'm telling you I am buying my last mascara. Nearly six years ago I should have retired. I could have cried and got that letter telling me I had to work until I was 66. I know, love, he said, patting her hand. She looked at his kind face, but she could always tell when he was in pain. It showed in his eyes. Still, she comforted, at least we will have six years of extra savings. The first holiday could be on the Norfolk Broads. I one of those posh cruisers you liked in the brochure. Jack smiled weakly at her enthusiasm, but didn't know if he was able to cope with their dream holiday. They kissed each other goodbye and Gloria left after striking yesterday from the calendar. The office was manic. Gloria was so busy. And whilst she could have done with another day in the week to combat the workload, she couldn't wait to count it away. She never left work on time and the stress always travelled on with her. Even as she paid at the till, her breathing was still rapid. And by the time she got back to the car, she felt like she was trembling all through her body. It was a white-knuckle drive home. She didn't like this feeling at all. Jack heard the familiar sound of the car pulling onto the drive and went to put the kettle on. He then heard the car horn. He rushed outside to find Gloria slumped at the wheel. One week later, Jack shuffled into the undertaker's with the new mascara he had found in Gloria's handbag. With a tremble to his voice, he said, Would you be so kind as to have someone put this mascara on my wife's lashes? She never went out without it. That was really good. Thank you. Yeah, very, very nice. Oh, bless you. Yeah, brilliant, that. That was really good, oh, Caroline. Proper sad one, that is. Yeah. And yeah. so you're going through six years of hardship in the hope that it's going to pay off just to never see it ever. I read it out to John and she says, oh, don't if I like it. Now, you do hear these stories of people of that working extra. And someone somebody told me, you know, she says, you know, Carolyn, some women are actually committing suicide because it's altered their focus. They can't cope. You know, you, you do, you get, you get stressed out. And, and it takes its toll. And you think, bloody hell, 
if I'm look, I'm focusing on that point. I'm focusing on that point. What if something happened and I didn't get there? Yeah. You know, yeah. we've been so busy at work. The stress, and it, it piles up. And I can remember like driving home and thinking, this is a white knuckle ride, you know, trembling all the way through. Yeah. And you think, I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm going to have a heart attack. That's really it, 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 is what it was about. That's so can we not is. have this as a prophetic story, please? <laughs> we don't want any of this coming true. Yeah, no, it needs, to, it needs to, to oh. not be a, a self-prophesizing event. Exactly that. <laughs> I was hoping to write full-time when I was 60. <laughs> hey, man. Well, come July, Carolyn, you'll be able to write full-time, so you'll be banging out those books for us all to read after that. Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we need a follow-up to Flint. I've started it. Excellent news. Good. Brilliant. Carolyn, how did you go about getting publishing firstly? And it, well, it's indie publishing. So the first novel was August. It, it, it's sort of like read about authors that have gone down the traditional publishing route. And you, what you do is you send it off. Well, you, you've got to go by agent now. And mm. then what you get is um, if you've not heard from us in by eight weeks or even three months, get in touch. So yeah. you, you kind of don't really want to send it off to anybody else. So then you, you then you have to wait. And then it's mm. like, oh, that one's not, not for, oh, um, I like your writing, but it's kind of not my thing. So then you've got to do it again. So you could that just send it off to four people could take a year to get that response. Mm. And let's but, face it, we all expect those rejection ones. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to do it. First time I tried to get anything published, and I'm talking a long time ago, and I sent it off to about 18 publishers. We were talking about publishing stories, weren't we, Daisy? Yes. You know what I mean? And um, I've tried over the years, but just not. And I think each time you get a knock back, it sends you down a bit. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but it's the same. I've just thought, you know what? I'm just going to get it done because it, at the same time, you still have an awful lot of work to do, even if you do get traditionally published, and you're still expected to purchase so many anyway. Oh, so I didn't realise that. Some, yeah, some of them want, want you to purchase so many books. There's been quite a few interviews, actually, of people that have been traditionally published and then have, have gone to, to self publish, and they say that they make more money. From indie publishing because they get, they yeah. do get the the profit on it and and I will say I think we all know that ebooks are more profitable than the printed book. Yeah, yeah. Everybody so, wants an instant um, fix, don't they? Yeah. If anybody writes thinking they're going to make loads of money, that then they are going to be disappointed. Um, very very few and far between. I think you write because you really want to write. You can't help it. And if somebody reads reads your book, you know, and you get a, a decent review, it's worth it. I agree with that. Nothing like holding your book, you know, with that jacket on it and that printed book. That that's the, that is real satisfaction. So I'm not going to be a millionaire. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> so then, TJ, what inspired your story? So what inspired this story? Um, it was something I read online about somebody who'd got away with beating the hell out of their dog, and he, the guy in question had got 13 weeks suspended sentence his dog had been taken into care and unfortunately it didn't survive so it upset me a bit there was a bit a few words on it, facebook and we were talking about writing something and this came up 
and I started writing it and then it went from there. Please listen to Billy's Law. You know, think about it. Billy's Law. Denise Lou sat straight up. Ed Eldar, she didn't link. The defence lawyer asked Miss Lou, on the day in question, what were you doing in Bradley, Lincolnshire? Denise speaks slowly, carefully, a speech not faltering. I went to Bradley intending to find Gavin Rag. And what was your plan when finding the deceased? To teach him a lesson that would change his mind about his actions. What actions would those be? Denise took a deep breath and continued to explain. He brutally beat and killed a defenceless one-year-old dog called Billy. Then he bragged about it and what he'd done online. The law dealt with this incident, didn't it? Denise spat back. The law gave Rag a 12-week suspended sentence for killing that poor defenceless puppy. Some would say it was just a dog. She furiously responded, not just a dog, but loving creature that and more entitled to live than that thug. A rumble of anger came from Rag's family in the public gallery directed at Denise. You're scum, they roared. Judge Sargent used his gravel to demand silence amid grumbles from the spectators and advised Denise, please continue, Miss Luce. Denise glared at the public gallery and yelled, you're all scum. Yes, they yelled back in delight. The judge's gavel went down once more as he demanded, silence, I will remove anyone that causes further disturbance from my court. Please continue, Miss Luce, but please stick to the facts. Denise nodded, yes, Your Honour. She paused and turned towards the defence lawyer as she spoke again quietly first. I wanted to give Gavin Rag a taste of his own medicine. Can you explain further? I knew where Rag lived, so I drove there and waited for him. He appeared after a couple of hours from the back door of his house, smoking a cigarette, not a care in the world. Gavin Rag? Yes. He walked along the back path by his house, got free. Not one day in prison for killing his girlfriend's poor defenceless dog. I'd seen him on Facebook laughing at his actions, at the law, the judge, even laughing at his girlfriend for crying over the death of her puppy. What did you do next, Miss Luce? I started my car and drove alongside him, opened my window to ask if it was Gavin Rag. He turned and stared at me. Yes, at me. So what? I asked him why he killed Billy. He couldn't help but brag that he was being bad, marking, biting him. Said he tried to stop him muzzling him with his hand. Puppy bit him, that's what he said. He made him angry, so he held Billy up to the scruff of the neck, then threw him on the floor. He wouldn't stay down, so he kicked him. Liar! Another shout went up from the public gallery. Judge brought down his gavel once more. Silence, removed that person from my court. Two burly security guards took the angry man by his shoulders while he continued to rant. Bitch! Liar! Take that man away. Anyone else wants to disturb my court today, I will have you removed. Do you hear me? Public gallery glared back at the judge in sullen silence. Continue, Miss Luce. Rag kicked that poor dog to death. He bragged that he'd only got away with it. He even told me that Billy deserved to die. He told me to piss off and walked away from me. The defence lawyer led the conversation on asking, then what did you do, Miss Luce? Denise spoke clearly, loudly, somehow proud. I revved my engine, put it into gear and drove toward him, straight at him. So you were angry at Mr. Rag? Angry? I felt sick at how little it cared about Billy. Only saw him as a nuisance, a problem, a disposable object. Gavin Rag killed that poor defenceless dog in cold blood. 
The ghastly shock was heard from the public gallery. The judge looked up, shaking his head, as Denise Lewis heatedly continued. He knew what he was doing. He murdered Billy, so I drove my car at him. There was a wall stopping him from going anywhere. I remember him shouting and dumping the bonnet at my car hard enough to dent it. I drove at him again and again and again until he was still. All I could see was a body, the body of poor Billy. The defence lawyer asked with quiet disbelief. So you didn't see Gavin Ragline? I saw his body. I also saw Billy's little body. A life for a life. Shouting went up from the public gallery. Denise Luz ignored the shout and she continued to speak. Gavin Rag killed Billy, a living, defenceless animal that had as much right to live as, as he did. The law let him get away with murder. He would have killed again and again and again, so I took the law into my own hands. I chose Billy's law. Billy's law? Yes, Billy's law. For all animals, defenceless against cruel thugs like Gavin Rag. So you took Gavin Rag's life in exchange for the life of Billy. Denise looked both proud and defiant as she replied, Yes. I acted for Billy in the name of Billy's law. Denise Luz was sentenced to 12-year prison sentence for manslaughter with diminished responsibility. The supporters beat a path to the high courts, committed legal papers addressing a new law to be built into justice. Billy's law. I really like that story. Um, it's a very, very serious subject. We seem to be doing that a little bit uh, this episode. Now, I know that obviously it's fiction, but it was based on, on an inspiration, something that Tracy found on Facebook. And I really, really think it just shows the lawyer's a complete ass because, you know, you, you get three months of a suspended sentence for kicking and, and being cruel to an animal. It's a defenceless creature. It's a poor defenceless dog. And people should be banned from owning animals if they are found guilty of cruelty. And I mean banned for life. I agree, they should be banned for life. And to be fair, a suspended sentence for three months is absolutely nothing because while he didn't physically kick the dog to death at the time, death is actually what the kicking resulted in eventually. Yeah. So it's still causing death. And whether it's to an animal or whether it's to a human, I think is irrelevant. You know, what Tracy said in her story it is a living, breathing creature with as much right to life as anybody else. Of course it is. It really touched a nerve. And whether people are animal lovers or not, if if you're not a, the kind of person that wants a pet, if you're not the kind of person that wants to look after an animal, just don't get one. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. And you have to look after them. You have to nurture them, yeah. you know, to get the best out of them. You know, I mean, I'm getting a little... I'd better get off my soapbox, really, haven't I? I don't know that you should get off your soapbox. No, I think in this case, your over-opinionated fashion is in keeping with the story and the fact that it was inspired by true life happenings just emphasises yeah. your opinion I mean, and how right it is actually on this occasion. And I'm not going to say that very often in your lifetime. No, that's true. You're not. You can't take the law into your own hands either. So what needs to happen is people need to start campaigning for decent prison sentences or decent deterrent sentences for yeah. people that are cruel to animals. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think the best part about Tracy's story really is the fact that she has addressed that. While he did get away 
with a suspended sentence. Denise Luz, the main character, she went and killed this guy. She did get 12 years yeah. for killing him. So it's not like, oh, he shouldn't have done that, so let's kill him off. It was, there are consequences to taking the law into your own hands. Yes, there are. And being a vigilante and going to avenge the death of Billy. So that they did beat a path to the high courts to bring in Billy's law at the end of the story, which yeah. was a nice touch, I thought. Yes. Anyway, don't we have another animal story sort of coming up? <laughs> it is a sort of animal story. It's one by Jane Love. So it's the first one that she's written for the podcast. Jane, tell us a little bit about what inspired this story. An area where I walk my dog. Uh, my dog is big like a bear. And having listened to your podcasts and your um, psycho by proxy stuff, it just came to me one day and I thought, go on, write some So I did. And you kind of liked it. So that's it, really. Thank you very much. Brave Bear, written by Jane Love. I don't go out much, not just because of COVID-19, just because I don't go out much. I have a dog, though, named Bear and he needs his walks. I reached for his lead and harness. A few years back he would have been bouncing all over the place, excited to be going for a walk. He's nine now and way more chilled about it. So once his harness was on, I attached his lead and stuffed my pockets with treats, not forgetting poo bags, it's the law nowadays, you know. We ambled along the bank of the beck that runs by our house. It's noise so relaxing as it babbles its way along to who knows where. It was a dry day, not overly warm. The beginning of spring. Bees are busy visiting the thistle flowers and buttercups, not long before the dreaded wasps are chasing me home. As Bear and I enjoyed our walk, I spotted my seat. Well, it wasn't mine, I just called it that. It was a welcome rest for me, as walking was becoming a struggle for me these days. If it was a fine day, I would sit and have a cig and a rest before we amble back home. Today, there was something on my seat. A Tesco bag for life, the Hessian type. My first thought was lazy sods. There's a bin right there. I picked it up to throw it in the bin when I heard something inside it like metal. My interest peaked, I looked inside. There was a purse, a mobile phone, keys, a packet of cigs and what looked like an expensive lighter. The phone was on but locked so I opened the wallet. There was some money, a few credit cards and a driving licence. The name on everything was Samantha Charles. The photo was of a woman in her early fifties, I guessed by the look of her. I did the math and she was 53. Not a bad guess, I thought to myself. The address wasn't far away. I would call on my way home and hand it back. It slightly puzzled me about why she'd left it, but accidents happen. I was sat having my customary cig. Bear sat staring at the thick overgrown bushes behind me. Then he let out a long, low growl, his warning growl. I took hold of his collar as he stood and his growls got longer and deeper. Something was bothering him and he was letting whatever it was know he was not messing about. His hackles were up and I was getting spooked too. Bear wedged himself between me and the pathway in front of the bushes. If there is anyone in those bushes, I suggest you leave now before I let my dog off the lead, I said, 
trying not to tremble as I spoke. There was a rustle of leaves, cracking of branches, and a figure ran out and scarpered down the ginnel. I couldn't see any features, but it was definitely a man. This time fully spooked me, and I figured we'd been out of the safety of our house long enough. As I picked up the bag and stood up to go, Bear pulled me as he ran into the bushes. I followed him as best I could. I didn't want to drop his lead, in case there were more of them hiding in there. The next thing I knew, I was crashing to the ground, probably tripping over a twig. That made me swear. I looked up and Bear was sat down as if waiting for me. I turned round to see what I'd tripped over and saw a shoe. Then another shoe, with feet in them and legs. It was a woman. Every inch of me said run. But that's totally not viable. I'm in my sixties, very overweight. Running is not my forte. On touching her leg, it was warm. I checked she was breathing. It was low and shallow, but definitely there. There was blood on her sleeve. She was bleeding from her nose. Her eye was swollen and closing up. She'd definitely been beaten, and badly. I cleared the leaves from around her face to help her breathe better. I needed to phone the police, but my phone was at home and hers was locked. I had to leave her and go to the nearest house a couple of minutes away. I tied Bear to a branch and told him to guard and protect and left them both. The first house I came to didn't answer the door. The second house a woman answered. I quickly told her what I'd found and asked her to call the police, which she did. And she also sent her husband back with me just in case the man returned. I hadn't even thought of that happening. When we got back, the woman, who I could now see was Samantha, was groaning. I took her hand and told her, Not long till help comes now. She squeezed my hand as we heard the sirens getting closer. Bear had laid down beside us, watching the fella from the house. I wondered if he was the offender, but I was just being silly, wasn't I? The ambulance took Samantha away to the hospital and the police took my statement. They told me that this was the fourth attack in as many days, that Samantha was lucky that Bear and I had come along. The other victims had been raped, beaten and left for dead. The fact Bear and I had chosen this time and place for our walk was probably what stopped this being murder number four. As I took my leave with Bear, I praised my brave boy and we wandered home via the chippy, where I rewarded him with his favourite chippy supper. I actually quite like that. We seem to be dealing with a lot of trauma and dead bodies and all sorts of things this this week. Yes, Um, all the stories are a little bit deep. They are, aren't they? I do like that Bear got his chippy supper afterwards. That was really (laughs) sweet. That was a nice touch, that. I've got a question, though, and you might not be able to answer this. Jane's story, you know, it's her dog, and then she's took him for a walk, and she's come across this, you know, this traumatic incident, which to her is is, is a trauma. We recognise, as human beings, what's happened. How does Bear know that it was a trauma? That's very true. That's very true. But in real life, Jane has a huge dog, and mm-hmm. is, is not called Bear, he's called Rufus. But Rufus is massively protective of Jane. So if he heard rustling in the bushes and didn't know what it was, his hackles would automatically be up because he'd want to protect Jane from whatever he could hear in the bushes that he didn't know what it was. So I think from real life experience, Rufus is so protective that he would be growling 
at something he couldn't see because he because he couldn't see it, he wouldn't know if it was a threat to his mistress or not. So I think that's an actual thing. I think that comes from real experience. Real experiences. I did like it. I thought it was it was it was really clever. And and to be honest, and the sad thing is that it that's not an unexpected situation to come across. I know. That is a really bad thing. I am ashamed of us a lot of the time, of some of the awful things that we do as a species. Yeah, and the last two stories have brought out the worst in human traits. They really have, haven't they? Do we have something a little bit light-hearted to finish off with? I think we do, don't we? (laughs) Yes, we've saved a little bit of light-hearted humour for our last story. It is called Topless Tease, and it was written by Dean Wrigley. Dean... Tell us what inspired your topless tease. Okay, my story is based on a, an actual happening, which happened about 20 years ago. Um, I didn't find out for a few years until I actually saw the stain on the wall. And then with a bit of writer's license, I created this story. And I, introduced, I, I bring back my um, two people, my couple from my very first story, January Sales, the married couple. And um, yes, it's it's called Topless Tees. You've got a very good memory remembering 20 years ago. Yes, I've told somebody about it recently and um, I just realised that it would make a good story. Mrs. Goldsmith looked at the consequences of her handiwork and suffered no regrets. With her spleen well and truly vented, she turned and walked back into her home. A few moments later, Michael's car entered their new road, drew up to their new house and turned into their new driveway. He got out of his car and went to his new home. His new wife, Ginny, was in their new kitchen. A kettle had just boiled, and she was about to pour the water into the mugs. She spoke to her husband. Look what just arrived from Amazon. I've been upstairs hoping the delivery man would come before you got home, and he brought us this just ten minutes ago. Do you like it? She said, pointing at their new kettle. She looked at Michael and saw his hands were empty. Did you remember to pick up some milk from the shop? She asked him. Oh no, it completely slipped my mind. I'll nip out and get some now before I get settled, said Michael. Okay, hun, kiss first, she said. I'll leave the mugs for you to finish off when you get back. Michael kissed her and then went out to his car again. He backed out of the driveway and was just about to set off when something caught his eye. There appeared to be a huge, messy stain on the wall. He carried on to the shop bought some milk and returned home. He slowed down as he approached the driveway and looked closely at the house again. There was definitely the mark of a freshly spattered egg on the wall. Why would someone throw an egg at their house? It had been done recently, in fact, because the yolk was still dripping. Puzzled, he went back into the house and completed making their mugs of tea, stirring slowly while pondering about what had happened. It was a mystery. Half an hour earlier, things were getting heated in the goldsmith's house. The new people across the road had finally got to Mrs. Goldsmith's goat. Actually, the new man was fine. 
he had introduced himself to Mr. and Mrs. Goldsmith within the first few days of them moving in and seemed a very decent chap. No, it was his bright-eyed young wife who had ignited Mrs. Goldsmith's fire. She had been watching afternoon television with her little grandson, Charlie, playing quietly near the window. Every now and then he would giggle. She loved the sound of her grandchild's laughter. Suddenly Charlie said, Nanny, that lady in the window is funny. She's got no clothes on. Huh? What lady? She questioned and went over to where Charlie was sitting. When she looked across the road towards the house opposite, she saw the back of their new neighbour's head disappear into the shade of an upstairs room. A few moments later, the woman appeared at the window again, and Mrs Goldsmith couldn't believe her eyes. Their new neighbour was practically hanging out of the window, looking down the road while completely topless. Mrs Goldsmith was lost for words. Come away from the window, Charlie, and go and play in your room. Now, please, she said sternly. Her grandson started to blub as he moved away. Go on, do as I say, into your room now, please. Mrs Goldsmith sat at the table and watched her new neighbour's house. It seemed that at the sound of every motor engine, this woman would appear at a window, brazenly flashing her tits for the whole world to see. It was outrageous behaviour in such a respectable area. You wait until Mr Goldsmith hears about this. There'll be words to the parish council, that's for sure. The neighbour appeared time and time again with absolutely no shame whatsoever. Finally, Mrs Goldsmith flipped. She had had enough. She stomped through the rooms in her house, wondering how she could show her displeasure. Eventually, a course of action was decided upon. First, she checked in Charlie's room to see he was playing quietly with his Lego. Then she went to the kitchen, grabbed an egg, stormed out of her front door, crossed the road before hurling the egg with all her might towards the neighbour's window. She wasn't a particularly good shot and the egg splattered into a million pieces on the wall beneath. Michael completed making the teas and carried Ginny's upstairs to their computer room. When he got there, he found his wife, sat at the computer, topless as usual. I spent the whole afternoon refining my CV and filling out thousands of job applications online, she said as she took the mug from her husband's grasp. I'm very proud of you, he said sincerely, and kissed her forehead. Did you know there's an egg splattered all over the wall outside, he asked. Our wall, she inquired. Yes, on our wall, out here, below this window, he said, pointing. When did that happen, she asked, as she rose from the computer and hung herself out the window again. Michael watched her and smiled as the mist cleared. Deans are never sad. Deans are always a bit on the pervy side. <laughs> I like that one. That is so cute. That based on Tracy. <laughs> I don't get my tits out for anybody, dear. <laughs> That's not what we heard. Well, not anymore. So, Dean, darling Dean, why are all your stories smutty? Uh, lockdown. <laughs> Just a minute. You've been smutty all the time we've known you, so what's your excuse for before lockdown? Come on! <laughs> yeah, come on, Dean. Every story, all apart from one, has yeah. been a little bit a little bit been a little bit smutty, a little bit X-rated, and we've had to censor them all. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of the one from right under the bed, but um, that, even that went a bit weird. 
So, um, yeah. Oh, dear. I, I, just, I, just can't, I just can't help myself. Maybe you should be writing erotica. <laughs> yes. Not sure we're going to be reviewing your erotica on our podcast, Dean. We have to have some standards, you know. I absolutely agree with you there, Daisy. But thank you very much, Dean, for that. Uh, a nice light end to the stories from this week. And thank you very much, TJ, Jane and Carolyn. And a big thank you to all our authors who have contributed to season three through the flash fiction and the indie authors who have allowed us to dissect their books and who have amused, amazed, fascinated and entertained us throughout the season. (laughs) I couldn't have put that better myself. I second everything she just said. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you, April. A reminder then for everybody that by the end of this year, Bear Books has vowed to publish our very first anthology and all in the name of charity. And that charity is Book Trust UK, which April and I spent weeks deciding on. And this is the one that spoke to our hearts and the one that any profits that we get from the anthology will be going to. Book Trust UK, it transforms lives by getting children and families reading. And that's exactly what we want to do. It's the UK's largest children's reading charity. And each year, they reach 3.9 million children across the UK with books, resources and support. What more could we ask for, really? We think that's absolutely amazing. So, season four, we've got to start preparing for that. Oh, my God. We do. Where's so, the time gone? I don't know. Lots of exciting stuff coming up. But spectacular. Yeah. (laughs) The trailer for that comes out on the 18th of June. So keep your eyes, ears. Can you keep your ears peeled? You can't really, can you? Uh, Not really. No. Not eyes peeled. So so that's the 18th of June. Ready and waiting for the kickoff of season four on the 2nd of July. I am so excited I could spit. You just did. That's a good job we're on Zoom then. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for joining us for season three and for making it as magical as it has been. Yeah, we've had a fantastic time. We'll see you in season four. If you've read a book by an indie author that you've really enjoyed, email the title across to us at contactus at barebooks.co.uk. And if we read it, we will discuss it on the podcast. Excellent. If you happen to be an indie author and would like us to add your book to our reading list, maybe even come and talk about it on the podcast, send your suggestions to submissions at barebooks.co.uk. And if you fancy a go at writing flash fiction and want the chance to be published in our flash fiction anthology for 2021, pop onto our social media for the full list of writing prompts for this season and also the word count at Bear Books Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or at Bear Books Pod 1 on Twitter. Thanks to Simon Strong for the musical interludes. You can Instagram him at dadnap.mp3. Stay safe. Until next time. (laughs) 